Um, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We want to also welcome all of our campuses that are tuning in, our television and online audience. We are glad that everybody is here to hear a word from God. If you have your Bible, would you take it on out? If you need a Bible, would you raise your hand and the ushers would be happy to give you one. Let's all hold it up and make this declaration of our faith all together. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter number one, verse number 39. The Bible says, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? to me for indeed as soon as the vo- as as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears the babe leaped in my womb for joy blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to you from the lord and mary said my soul magnifies the lord my spirit has rejoiced in god my savior for he has regarded the lowly state of his hand of his maid servant for behold henceforth all generations will call me blessed For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, And to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Today I want us to turn our attention to the greatest historical account ever given to man, the Christmas story. And I want to glean from Christmas through the eyes of Mary and specifically what she reveals to us in her prayer or in her song as she kind of gets what has happened to her. Suddenly it hits her and as it hits her she begins to sing. Her song is referred to as the Magnificat and it's a song which literally means that which magnifies or which my soul magnifies. And that should be the reaction of everybody to the incarnation of Christ. Your soul ought to magnify the Lord. As the old songwriter said, oh, magnify the Lord with me, for he is worthy to be praised. And as we enter into the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary, I want to show you the four roads by which Christ leads us to the one way to heaven, and that is himself. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you make your word come alive to each one of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. The four roads of Christmas that lead us to the one road to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. As we come to our text, one of the things that we need to realize is that there is really only one way to heaven. 
and that is Jesus Christ. There's not a multitude of ways. There's not many ways. It's not you believe this, and as long as you're good, you get to go to heaven. Say, Pastor, why do you say this? Because that's what the Bible teaches. John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. That's pretty clear. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, it says, There is no other name under heaven from which men can be saved. That's also pretty clear. There aren't many ways for us to get to heaven. There is only one way. And that's not narrow-minded. That's just good leadership. If you want somebody to do something, isn't it, aren't you, isn't it good of you to be clear about it? Imagine if your boss just told you, you know, go get the job done any way you want to, and then you came back and checked on it, and you're like, well, I did it this way, and he's like, why'd you do it that way? You shouldn't have done it that way. Well, you told me anyway, and so anyway qualifies. Jesus is trying to make it clear for us that he is the only way, the only road for us to get connected to the Father. And so as we come to the text and we talk about the four roads of Christmas, I want you to realize that there are four different ways in the Christmas story that we find God leading us to the one road, which is Jesus Christ. Just like our journeys to Christ vary. Some people come to Christ through uh, a confluence of coincidental circumstances. Stuff begins to happen in your life and God leads you to Christ. Other people come to Christ by way of curiosity. Some people come to Christ by way of family and friends. Others by way of study. Some people even come to Christ because of pain and heartache in their life. Our journeys are different, but there is one road that leads to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. And it's God that leads us down these different roads. Moses was led because God set a bush on fire. Paul was led because God showed up on his Damascus road. Peter was led because God gave him a miraculous catch of fish that broke his nets after he fished all night and caught nothing. The woman at the well was led because Jesus told her, all about her past. The man born blind was led because in his words, I was once blind, but now I see. Thomas was led because Jesus walked into the room where Thomas was, and he said, reach hither thy fingers and touch the holes in my hand, and reach hither thy hand and touch the scars in my side, and be not faithless, but believing. It is God that leads each one of us down these different roads so that we can all enjoy the one way to eternal life, which is through Jesus. Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, it is by faith that we are saved, but it is also by the grace of Almighty God. And so when we come to the text and we talk about the four ways that God leads us, let us not misunderstand that there is only one way to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. The first road is the road of history. And this road answers the all-important question, when did this happen, not if this happened. When did this happen, not if this happened? And what's interesting to note as we contemplate this question that the historical road both asks and answers is that this was eyewitness testimony. This was somebody giving this information that was actually the first-hand eyewitness in the incarnation of Christ. As we come to the story, it's noteworthy that the gospel writers are reiterating what Mary has told them. Mary is the first-hand eyewitness to the incarnation, and the gospel writers, if you will, they are the investigators. Mary stayed with John after Jesus was crucified. uh, uh, Jesus gave her life 
over to John's care. And so more than likely, scholars believe, Mary is the one who told Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all about the events that were taking place. She told them that the angel appeared to her. She told them what the angel said. She told them about how Joseph didn't believe at first. She told them how God sent another angel to Joseph. She told them how they had to take a trip to Bethlehem. She told them how they had to escape to Egypt. She told them about the wise men. She told them about all those events. And in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us so much. Look at what Luke says in Luke chapter 2, verse number 19. It says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And when we read this verse, I want you to notice two words, kept and pondered. The word kept and pondered means more than just she thought about them. It literally means that she guarded them so closely so that she would be able to keep them in an orderly account so she can retell what has happened. And all of us know that women can do this, can't they? Women can keep track of everything that has happened in a particular story. Matter of fact, they're so good at it, when us men are telling stories, they regularly help us along the way with interjections and corrections and remembrances of these things. Women know how to keep things in precise order. And it was Mary who kept these things in precise order, and she is giving a first-hand account of what actually happened in the incarnation. Imagine, if you will, you saw a crime before your eyes, and you were brought in by the lead investigators to go on the record and give an account of everything that you saw so that it would be admissible in court. That's what's happening here. That's what's taking place as we read through the Gospels. And so it is not just somebody retelling some fantasy. It is somebody giving an actual account of what has happened to them. But notice also how the Gospels begin. Now, one time did any of the Gospels begin with the phrase, once upon a time, Matter of fact, if the Gospels began with the phrase once upon a time, then it would indicate that this is a fairy tale and a legend, and it signals to the reader that this probably didn't happen, but that the story teaches something that is morally good for us to know. But that's not how the Gospels begin. Matthew, for example, begins with a genealogy. And it begins with a genealogy that most of us just skip right over because we think God is trying to trip us up with all those hard pronunciations and names that are in there. And so most of us never even read the genealogy that Matthew begins with. But Matthew is telling us this, by the way, giving a genealogy at a time when people who are alive that lived in the genealogy could actually say, that's not so, that's not so, that's not so. And the reason why Matthew is doing this is to ground our faith, not in if it happened, but when it happened. He's trying to ground our faith in historical account. Matter of fact, this was culturally one of the greatest ways to give evidence to the veracity of something, to ground it in a genealogy, to say, this is how this particular thing went down. He's letting us know it's not made up. He's letting us know it's not a story like a fairy tale that has a moral to it. It's not something from which we take away some advice on what we should do now and how we should 
should live our lives, although it is. It's not a fairy tale. It is a declaration of what God has done for you and I. It's not good advice. It is good news. It is not a suggestion of how you can save yourself. It is a historical report of what God has done to save us. It is the strongest cultural way of representing that what I'm about to tell you is not a fable. It's not fiction. It's not fantasy. It is fact. God became a man. God came down to lift us up. Divinity did couch himself in humanity. Immortality took on mortality so that he could save you and I. It is, it is a historical testament to a transformational truth that Christianity is not just a place to get some inspiration and guidance for life, even though it is, but is first a message that you and I need to be saved, and it's not by what we can do to save ourselves, but rather what Christ has done to save us. It's not advice. It's news. It's not a story. It's history. It's not fiction. It is fantastic. The purpose of the genealogy is to ground our faith in history. But it has an amazing effect on all the fairy tales that we read. The gospel itself is not a fairy tale, but it has an amazing effect on all the fairy tales that we read. Let me read you a little excerpt from a great book I recommend it highly Tim Keller wrote a book he's now passed on called Hidden Christmas in it he writes the great fairy tales and legends Beauty and the Beast Sleeping Beauty King Arthur did not really happen of course they are not factually true and yet they seem to fulfill a set of longings in the human heart that realistic fiction can never touch or satisfy That is because deep in the human heart, there are these desires to experience the supernatural, to escape death, to know love that we can never lose, to not age but live long enough to realize our creative dreams, to fly, to communicate with non-human beings, to triumph over evil. If the fantasy stories are told well, we find them incredibly moving and satisfying. Why? It is because even though we know that factually the stories didn't happen, our hearts long for these things and a well-told story momentarily satisfies these desires scratching the terrible itch. He says, Beauty and the Beast tells us that there's a love that can break us out of the beastliness that we have created for ourselves. Sleeping Beauty tells us that we are Uh, we are in a kind of sleeping enchantment and there is a noble prince who can come to destroy us. We hear these stories and they stir us because deep inside our hearts we believe or want to believe that these things are true, that death should not be the end. We should not lose our loved ones. Evil should not triumph. Our hearts sense that even though these stories themselves aren't true, the underlying realities behind the stories are somehow true or ought to be. But our minds say no. Our critics say no. They insist that when you give yourself to fairy stories and you really believe in moral absolutes and the supernatural and the idea that we are going to live forever, that's not reality and it is cowardly to give yourself into it. Then we come to the Christian story. And at first glance, 
It looks like all the other legends. Here's a story about someone from a different world who breaks into ours, has miraculous powers, can calm the storm and heal people and raise them from the dead. Then his enemies turn on him. Then he is put to death. But finally he rises from the dead and saves everyone. We read this and we think, another great fairy tale. Indeed, it looks like the Christmas story is one more story pointing us to those underlying realities. But Matthew's gospel refutes that by grounding Jesus in history, not once upon a time. He says this is no fairy tale. Jesus Christ is not one more loving story pointing us to these underlying realities. Jesus is the underlying reality to which all the stories point. Jesus has come from eternity. Super, The supernatural world that we sense is there, that our hearts know is there, even though our heads say no. At Christmas, he punched a hole in between the ideal and the real, the eternal and the temporal. He came into the world. That means if Matthew is right, then there is an evil sorcerer in the world and we are under an enchantment and there is a noble prince who has broken the enchantment and there is a love from which we will never be parted and we will indeed fly away someday and defeat death. What's he saying? He's saying this genealogy This historical report changes every way that you and I are to look at this. We're not reading a maybe. We're not reading a if this happened. We are reading an account of when this happened. The great immortal C.S. Lewis, you know what he said? He said, Jesus is the myth that isn't. In other words, all the other stories are legends and fables because none of those people ever really lived. None of those people ever really came to earth. But Jesus has a genealogical record. Jesus has a history behind him. And when Matthew opens in his Gospels, this is Ancestry.com before you had to spit into a vial and send it off into the mail to find out where you came from. Jesus is grounded in history. And it is this road that Christ leads us down, that God leads us down, that we may find the way to eternal life. And that is through our Savior, Jesus Christ. The second road we encounter is the road of mystery. This answers the question, how? It's the question that Mary answered. The angel appeared to her, Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can these things be? Since I do not know a man. She asked the obvious question. How can I get pregnant without being intimate with a man? How can a virgin have a child? This is incredulous and impossible. They lock people up for believing these kind of things. This is beyond human imagination and comprehension. This is too wonderful to express in words. But then again, how can the Red Sea be parted? How can a man sleep in a den of hungry lions and not be harmed? How can three men get tossed into a fiery furnace and come out with not even the smell of smoke on them? How can a whale transport a man from the depths of the sea to the safety of the shores? How can ravens bring meat and bread to a prophet to eat in the morning and in the evening? How can food fall from the sky to feed people in the wilderness? How can water come from a rock? How can a boy with no experience in war defeat a man who's ten foot tall who was a man of war with a slingshot? How can a man and woman in their 
90s have a baby? How can walls fall with just a shout? How can 300 defeat 30,000? How can five loaves and two fishes feed 5,000 families? How can paralysis be healed with just a word? How can blind eyes be opened with just spit? How can water be turned into wine? How can a person walk on water? How can a man who's been dead for four days come out of the tomb? And how could somebody beaten nearly to death rolled and put in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it. Three days later come out, even though there were highly trained Roman soldiers in front of it. How do these things happen? It's the question of mystery. How can this be done? The angel answers. He says, for with God, nothing is impossible. Exactly. Exactly. With God. G-O-D, biggest word in the Bible. With God, nothing is impossible. What does the word God mean? It means all-knowing. It means everywhere present. It means all-powerful. It means always was, always is, always will be. It means no predecessor, no successor. It means the ancient of days. It means the one who is uncaused and caused everything that was created. It means the one who says, let it be, and it is so. It means limitless. It means without bounds. It means having no rival, no equal. It means unparalleled, unprecedented, preeminent. It means supreme and matchless and invisible. It means the one for whom nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. What is the road of mystery? You see, if Christmas and if the story was not so fantastic in as much as it's beyond what is humanly possible to comprehend, that would be a sign that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. Because it is beyond what is humanly comprehensible. Because it is fantastic beyond our wildest imaginations. It is a road that leads us to Christ. Because how else would you expect God to be? When people say, well, I don't believe the Bible because the Bible is full of stuff that can't happen humanly. I'm like, exactly. You got it. This is a story about God. What kind of God do you define? God is not God if he can't do what is humanly impossible. And the fact that the Christmas story is about a virgin who had a baby is evidence that with God all things are possible. When you have the burden of a lesser God, the burden of a God who can't do these things, then this is highly improbable to you. But when you understand who God is, it resonates. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says it succinctly, the road of mystery. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. What makes the mystery without controversy is it is so fantastic. And this road, this road of mystery is another road that God leads us down that we might come to the one way to receive eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. The third road is the road of divinity. It answers the question, what is taking place? Mary doesn't fully understand the mystery, but she willingly submits and says to the angel, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. 
Beat onto me according to your word. She doesn't fully get it when the angel first appears. And the angel knew she wouldn't fully get it. So the angel says, go visit your cousin Elizabeth. See, sometimes we don't have to get every detail of how God is leading. Sometimes we just need to be willing to say, God, if this is how you're leading, I don't fully get it yet. But I'm trusting you. If you said this, somehow, some way, you're going to bring it to pass. And here's what God does along the way. God gives us, puts the people in our lives, gives us the experiences and the circumstances to confirm what he's saying. He says, go see Elizabeth. And so she goes to see Elizabeth. That's where our text begins. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice. Listen to what she said. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth confirms to Mary everything that the angel said. Is true that the babe on the inside of you is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed the Lord. One of my friends, by the way, Frank Shelton, he wrote a book many years ago about why the babe inside of Elizabeth leaped when Mary and Jesus entered the room. He said in every courtroom across America each day before a case is tried, regardless if one is a plaintiff or a defendant, an attorney wearing a $1,000 suit, a member of the jury or the janitor, you will always hear two words before the trial starts, all rise. Out of respect, everyone, and I mean everyone, stands up for the one wearing the robe. He says, I submit to you that the reason John jumped the baby in Elizabeth's womb and stood up when Mary entered the room was because John knew who had entered the room. You see, in Mary's womb was not just the judge of a courtroom, but the judge of heaven and earth who wears a robe of righteousness. Elizabeth confirm to Mary what was taking place. God was becoming human. Divinity was entering humanity. God was putting on flesh. Righteousness was wrapping himself in rags. A big, powerful God was becoming a little, little vulnerable baby. Jesus was God. Did he ever claim to be? Well, of course he did. John chapter 4, verse 25 He's talking to a woman at a well. She says, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us everything that we need to know. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. John chapter 8 verse 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am I am was the name that was given to God when Moses was having a conversation with God. Moses said, God said, go before Pharaoh. And he said, well, who should I say to the children of Israel has sent me? And he said, tell them the I am sent you. When Jesus said before Abraham was I am, they wanted to stone him because they knew he was saying I'm God. John 14, 9, he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. And Elizabeth said, to what do I owe this privilege that the mother of my Lord would come and greet me. What is happening here? God is becoming a man. Divinity 
It's taking on human form. One writer says, there is no book full of more contradictions than the Bible. If there is no person who is both human and divine. The Bible is absolutely loaded with contradictions if we do not have a human and divine person because it is the only combination by which we can make sense of the Bible. In other words, if he wasn't divine, how did he do the miracles? If he wasn't divine, how did he know the stuff that he knew about people before they even told him? If he wasn't divine, why did the wind and the waves obey him? But if he wasn't human, then how did he get tired? How did he cry? How did he bleed? In the Bible, we have the great mystery of divinity that God is becoming a man. He has to in order to save us. And this combination of the two is a road that God leads us down that we may find the Savior, the road of divinity that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh leads us to faith in him because it tells us that we're not alone in our struggle. Have you ever gone through something that felt lonely? Have you ever gone through something that felt isolated from everybody else? Like no one understands like there's no one you can talk to, no one you can relate to. You come across well-meaning people and they try to say stuff, but it doesn't help. They say things like, it's going to be all right, but that doesn't help. They say things like, I'm praying for you, that doesn't help. They say things like, let me know if I can do anything for you, but that doesn't help. They might listen, they might be with you when you grieve, be a shoulder to cry on you, but you still feel so alone. You think to yourself, is there anybody who can relate to what I'm going through? Is there anybody who can understand me? And then along comes somebody who has been through everything that you're going through. The person who's been through the cancer, the person who was once an alcoholic, the person who's been through a divorce, the person who's lost a child, and they come to you and they say, I know what you're going through. And all of a sudden... Hope arises in your heart. All of a sudden, their words have different meaning than everybody else's words because theirs is not just opinion. Theirs is not just, you know, being nice. Theirs are the words of somebody who has been where you are and are now on the other side. Listen to what the scripture says. It says, be blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, what he's saying is this. If God was only comforting us from a place of immunity, it wouldn't mean anything. But God is not comforting us from a place of immunity. God took the same medicine that the world gives to you and I. He suffered like you and I suffered. He died like you and I died. Die. He experienced the loss of loved ones like you and I experienced the loss of loved ones. He was betrayed like you and I are betrayed. He was tempted and tried at every point. And so the Bible says we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. The fact that God became 
one of us. The road of divinity. God became a man. Helps us in our journey of faith because it answers the question, at least begins to attempt to, of human suffering. That God is not even immune to it. That God suffered in our place. And so he's not a God who can relate from a place of immunity, but he's a God, he's a God who can relate from a per- place of having gone through it. And it is this road by which God takes us down at Christmas time so that we would come to the one way that leads us to eternal life and that is Jesus Christ. The last road is the road of humanity. It answers the question why? Why would God do this? Why would he become one of us? Why would the immortal become mortal? Why would he subject himself to our suffering? Why would he die in our place? Why would he become a baby? And Mary's song answers the question. Look at what she says. Verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Let me give that to you kind of in reverse order. The first thing she says is he is mighty. In other words, since this is true, since Elizabeth told me that the baby in my womb is the Lord... God is mighty. There's nothing that God can't do. He is beyond mighty. He is beyond the impossible. He says, she's basically saying that this is truly God. If, if what is in me is God, then I know that God is mighty. But then she says, holy is his name. In other words, he became one of us because he's opposed to sin. That's what holiness is. God can never get used to sin. He came to pay the price for sin. He came because he is holy to deal with our guilt and shame. Because of our flaws, he came. Because of our separation from him due to sin, he came. He had to do something about it. Man had a had a sin problem, and that sin doomed humanity to eternal separation from God. And so God came to deal with the sin problem because he is holy. Because he can't, by virtue of his nature, wink at it or excuse it. It had to be dealt with. Mary sings and she says, holy is his name. And then she says this. She says, his mercy is on those who fear him. In other words, he came because he didn't want us to pay the price for our sin. Which is eternal separation from him. He came to pay the price for our sin. He paid a price for sin that he didn't know because we were confronted with a cost that we couldn't pay. This is why the gospel is good news and not good advice. Because he is holy, he had to do something. Because he is merciful, he wants to do something. Because he is mighty, he can do something. This is the gospel. This is the Christmas story. Notice what she then says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, for henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things 
for me. The road of humanity, the why. For me, for me, for me. She calls, notice this, Jesus, her Savior. Mary said Jesus was her Savior. Mary is, of course, to be revered and regarded because of the part that she played in the greatest event in human history. But she is not sinless. That's why she said Jesus was her Savior. The last road of Christmas, the road of humanity which God leads us down, answers the why. Why would God leave heaven and come to earth? Why would God condescend from his divinity and take on our humanity? Why would he subject himself to such vulnerability? Why would God allow himself to be touched with the feeling of our infirmity? Why would God become as a baby in a stable and get sacrificed on a cross? Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he did all this because of one word. He loves... Humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did it because he loves us. This is why God shows us history. This is why God shows us mystery. This is why God shows us divinity. And this is why God chose to lead us down the road of humanity. The story of Christmas is not powerful unless we make it personal. It is not just a good story to celebrate a holiday. It is what God did for us to save us from our sins. Salvation is not just granted to you because you're good. Salvation is given to you when you receive it. And the Lord Jesus comes at Christmas time and he knocks again on the door of every single person's heart. And he said, will you receive me as Lord and Savior? This is what I've done for you. I, I read this thing on, I think it was Instagram. And it showed a, a door and it had blood over the door. And it said, God didn't check whether the people in the house were worthy of the blood when the death angel passed over. Anybody who was in the house was covered by the blood. You don't have to be perfect in order to receive salvation. All you need to do is repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then that blood gets applied to your life and you become right with God and you receive eternal life. Would you stand to your feet? Christmas presents us with four roads to lead us to one way to get to heaven. You're here today not just because you're attending a church service. You're here today so that you could hear the gospel so that God could grant you eternal life. And there's not one person that's here under the sound of my voice that God doesn't want to give eternal life to. God doesn't want to save your soul. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would draw the hearts of those who haven't yet given their life to you. 
And with no one looking around, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know what? I have never submitted my life to Jesus Christ. But today I want to surrender to Him. I want to give my life to Him. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior so that I know I have eternal life. With no one looking around, if that's you in this room, would you slip your hand up so I can pray with you, Pastor, today? I want to give my life to Jesus. God bless you, young man. God bless you over here, sir. God bless you in the back, sir. Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't know if I'm right with him, but today I want to be made right with him. Is there anybody else? Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to pray this prayer with everybody that's lifted your hand to God right now and everybody else in the room. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're watching at one of our locations. Maybe you're watching on television and you feel the Lord pulling you to him, drawing you to him by grace and your response is faith right now. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with us. Everybody praying together. Let's say it out loud. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me as I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him as my Lord and Savior, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to eternal life. The ushers are going to find you, give you a little book that describes what it means to give your life to Jesus. If you kindly would, take a moment before you leave and fill out the card that is in that book and give it back to an usher, either right there or on your way out. God bless all of you. We will see you next week.